Worry can be one of the most debilitating feelings in the world. And the more we try not to worry, the more we actually end up making it worse. So how do we get to the root of our problem and not just treat the symptoms? Well, in the next 20 minutes or so, I'm gonna show you how we can get to the root of our problems of worry and how to face them head on with confidence and peace. And we find it in the story of Jesus. So let's talk about it together. You know, sometimes I wish I was a dog. You too? No, just, just me? But think about it, dogs have it so easy. They just, you know, they don't have to worry about anything. They just sleep and eat and play and get pets and bark. And even when they go to the bathroom, they just go wherever they want. And they're like, somebody else will take care of that. <laughs> like so different than most humans, right? Because we have responsibilities and even more, we have worries. In fact, worry is one of the universal human experiences. Now, when we're talking about worry right now, I am not talking about mental health issues and anxiety disorders, which what we'll talk about will definitely help those in some way. But when we're dealing with those, it's really important to talk to professionals who uh, can diagnose and help treat those issues. And so what this episode's really talking about are those everyday worries and concerns that seem to like build on each other more and more until they kind of take over our lives and, and suck the joy out of our lives. Worries like like money worries, right? Debt and and are, can we pay the bills next month? And then those kids' expenses with, you know, they keep getting crooked teeth and we got to pay for those. Uh, will we keep our jobs so we can pay for things? Do Are we going to have enough to retire on? All of those things. Uh, we worry about relationships, whether it's a, a spouse, a significant other, kids, friends. Like, am I too much for them? Am I being enough for them? Do I contact them enough? You know, all that stuff. Uh, we worry about um, our future. You know, what college should I go to? Am I going to have kids? What college should my kids go to? Should I pay for it? Blah, 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 blah. All of those worries. Uh, marriage. Will I get married? Will I not? Uh, how will I die? When will I die? And with that, we worry about our health, of course, right? See, all of these really are fears of things we can't control. What, what we're doing is we are face-to-face -face with the chaos of life, that, that random, unpredictable, unruly, uh, wild life. Like It just feels like we're being tossed around in, in a stormy sea, right? See, the, the worries of our life stem from the chaos of our world. And things seem to just come at us from all directions. And we don't know when the next one's going to come or where it's going to come from. We can try to prepare as much as we can, but so much of it is out of our control. And we never know what's going to hit next. So how do we deal with these real world worries? I mean, usually we're told, you know, or we tell ourselves, well, just stop worrying. Like it's, you can't, worrying can't do anything about it anyway. Like, has that ever helped you? It's not very helpful. Uh, or, you know, I mean, ancient people, I think that's why ancient people used to like sacrifice animals and, and do their superstitions to appease the gods, at least give themselves a, a fighting chance with this chaos. Uh, maybe sometimes we try meditation or, or breathing exercises, which, which aren't bad and, and can help us calm down, but uh, it doesn't really change the reality. I mean, these are real things that could happen to us. Maybe we go to a counselor, which is great. 
talking about our worries is really good and putting things in pers into perspective is really helpful. But still, all these things really, we're just treating the symptoms. We're just treating the, the feelings of the worry. And it's important to learn how to cope, but really the root is still there. So is there anything that can help us take control and, and maybe take the power out of our worries? Is there something that can allow us to truly experience joy and peace no matter what chaos is going on around us? Is there something that like, could be a reliable foundation, something that gives us confidence in the face of our chaotic world? No, there isn't. I'm sorry. There is no thing that can truly help us overcome that deep human worry. But there is someone. You saw that coming, didn't you? See, Jesus has the power to control the chaos of our world. And in fact, he proved it in a very dramatic and even symbolic fashion. And around 60 AD, a friend of the Apostle Peter named Mark wrote an account of Jesus' life. And in this account, we, uh, in the section we're going to look at right now, we actually see Jesus has just finished a, a day of teaching, of, of parables. And now it's, as you know, Peter and the disciples kind of expected, it was time for a break. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and began, and it began to fill with water. And you kind of see the eyewitness detail here, right? Like Mark is telling, or Peter is telling Mark the story. He's like, yeah, we went out, but still they followed us in the other boats. And they're, what they're sailing on there, or rowing on, is the Sea of Galilee. It's a large freshwater lake in Israel. Uh, it's about 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and storms would come do still come up very regularly and, and, and quickly on the waters there. And uh, this storm in particular, apparently, is, is pretty bad, right? Despite the disciples' best efforts, they're getting nowhere. The waves are crashing. The boat is starting to fill with water, and they can't do anything about it. Like This is a very real and very deadly situation for them. And it might seem bad for us as we read the story, but for the original readers that Mark was writing to, this is like even more. This has like some symbolism in it, especially for the Jewish reader. They would see a lot more here, touching on their deeper cultural context. See, the seas and the oceans were always viewed with kind of a um, suspicion. They had, because of their chaotic and powerful and even mysterious nature, and so the seas had come to kind of symbolize the dark, chaotic powers of the world that were threatening to destroy God's creation and people and purposes. I mean, just if you, we live in Oregon and you just go to the Oregon coast and you can kind of see how they would get this idea, right? You have the, the safe earth right here in the cliffs and the waves, the angry sea, especially during a storm, is just constantly crashing against it, trying to get onto land and break down those, those rocks and those cliffs. And then you have those, those sneaker waves and, and, and rip currents that, that come and try to steal people and, and capture them from their safe land. There's, there's death on the water. That's not a place where we can just survive on our own. We need something to keep us alive. And so stay on the water long enough and you're going to die. And there's so many ancient stories of like, you know, sea monsters coming out of the sea. And uh, it was just this mysterious, dark thing. We still have those stories, right? Um, Godzilla comes out of the sea, Jaws, uh, the Kraken, that type of stuff. We actually see this theme throughout the Jewish scriptures. Uh, in the very opening pages of Genesis 1, the creation poem, 
We see God kind of separating the earth and the land and, and trying to, and, and actually controlling the, the chaotic nature of the waters that were covering the earth. In fact, a really great example we see is in probably the oldest literature of the Jewish scriptures in the book of Job. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, I said, this far and no further will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. See, the sea wants chaos, and God comes and controls that chaos. He's the one who forces it to obey him. And so what we're seeing here in Mark really is a personification of this chaos threatening to take over Jesus and his disciples. So the, the chaos of the world is trying to overtake and put an end to the one who claims to be bringing the kingdom of God, the order of the kingdom of God, to the world. It's really set up, if we read it this way, as a cosmic battle between the evil chaos and dark chaos of the world and Jesus himself. And so, as these very real and very dangerous waves are threatening to swamp the boat, there are actually two wildly different reactions from the disciples and Jesus. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke, woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? It's really actually a funny picture if you think about it, right? You got the disciples struggling at the oars, bailing for their lives, and you have Jesus with his head on a cushion, like that eyewitness detail. Peter's like, he was like, not just resting, like he brought his own pillow, his favorite nap pillow, and he was resting on a cushion in the back of the boat as we're about to drown. And we actually see two things here. First, like, look how the disciples interact with Jesus. And I love this. See, we can be honest and real about our worries and fears with Jesus. See, they, they run to him and they, they yell at him, right? You, you read it here. Their emotions are raw. Don't you care that we're going to drown? They're raw. They're real. They're, they're desperate. They're, there's no niceties there. There's no like, if it pleases your lordship, would you please wake up? And no, they are they're familiar with him and they kind of yell at him, we're going to die. And Jesus gets annoyed and, and upset and like, how dare you talk to me that way? No, he doesn't, right? Do you see, Jesus, he's not offended. He's not... Um, defensive or taken back by our, our real feelings. I mean, he knows them already. In fact, I kind of wonder if Jesus that whole time wasn't actually sleeping. Maybe he was faking it just to see what would happen here and, and be able to have this, this lesson for them. And second, you know what else we see? Like, why do they wake Jesus in the first place? Because they, like, why do they wake Jesus up? Does he, do they need more help bailing? Do they want to give him a fighting chance so that when they do go down, he's able to tread water? Well, in the way that they, they're wording it, it seems like they expect Jesus to do something here, right? I feel like they, they knew enough about Jesus. They had seen his miracles. They had seen his healings. To, they knew enough about Jesus to know he could do something. Like he could, he could regrow a shriveled hand. Maybe he could, I don't know, help him breathe underwater like that bubble charm from Harry Potter or something. Whatever it is, we see an important principle here. To see Jesus do something in our chaos we have to acknowledge that he can do something. And it will rarely look like we expect. It probably won't be in our timing. But when we come to him, we know that he will do something. And the something he does that day is way more than what the disciples expect. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I really wish we could know Jesus' tone there. 
right? Like what he says, it seems angry. Like he literally tells the wind and the waves to shut up and knock it off. And so is it like this commanding, uh, loud voice of silence, be still? Or is it more like, you know, that annoyed, kind of tired, grumpy, waking up from a nap? Oh my gosh, shut up. Just be quiet. I kind of think it was probably the second one because that's how I feel when I get woken up from a nap. Either way, Jesus tells the wind and the waves to stop. Like he just says it and it happens immediately. There's no like slowly dying down of the wind. No, it just stops. The waves aren't like crashing and then they last and less. No, they just stop when he says it. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, why are you afraid? Which seems like kind of a, a silly question, right? Like, why are you afraid? The disciples are like, well, Jesus, we were like literally about to die. And Jesus says, so? Do you still have no faith? Like, what? Like, that seems unfair, right? The disciples are saying, like, we're about to die, and you just want us to believe harder? Where's our faith? Like, how about, where's your, your, your rowing abilities? Think about it. When you're facing the chaos of life, has trying harder to believe actually done anything for you? No. Why? Because faith isn't about believing harder. It's about who we are trusting. And Jesus is asking them, or it's telling them, I'm right here in the boat. And the moment chaos comes, the moment that the wind and the waves get too much for you, you freak out and you just try harder to row and, and bail when that wasn't even working. Like you could have woken me up a lot sooner and instead you'd treat me as your last resort. Does that sound familiar ever? That we treat Jesus kind of like this last resort after everything we've tried to do? The disciples were saying, what are we going to do? What if we can't get out of this? The waves are too big for us and the wind is too strong for us. And Jesus says, yeah, they are too big for you and too strong for you, but not for me. See, the problem really wasn't the storm. The problem was that who they were trusting. Jesus says, you, you, these, you were relying on you to get yourself out of this when I'm right here. See, Jesus never has a problem when we have too much trust in him. He never says, oh, why do you trust me so much? No. See, whenever I get overwhelmed with my fears and, and my worries, it's not because I've been trusting too much. It's because I've been trusting myself too much. I've been trying to figure it out. I've been trying to, you know, not wanting to bother Jesus until I do everything I can. Isn't that kind of dumb? And Jesus says, look, he tells the disciples, this is what I've been telling you about the kingdom of God. This is why I'm here. I'm going to take the chaos that you have no control over, and I'm going to subdue it. I'm going to take the power out of it. Jesus brings clarity and order in the face of chaos. So the question really is, do you trust him? Jesus says, I am bringing the kingdom of God to conquer the chaos. And he tells the disciples, I've shown you with the miracles. I've shown you with the healings. I've shown you with the exorcisms, the casting out demons. I've explained all this in my teachings and my parables. Why are you afraid? The chaos has no choice but to obey when I say the word. And then I think, like in my mind, I picture it. Jesus winks at him. Lays back down on his favorite cushion, pulls the hat over his eyes, like, all right, boys, get back to work. Wake me up when we get there. But now the disciples have something even more to be afraid of, right? And if you think this seems like a crazy story, kind of hard to believe, I get it. In fact, the guys who were there and saw it found it even harder to believe. 
The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. They're actually more terrified of the calming of the storm than they were of the actual storm. See, like healing, they're probably thinking like, healing diseases? Okay, that's cool. Casting out demons. That was fun. These miracles, great. But this is different. This is controlling nature with just his voice. This is impossible unless he's actually more than the man that we see standing in or sleeping in front of us. And so they asked the question that Mark's been trying to get his readers to ask this entire time. Who is this man? And if the disciples had been thinking through their, their, their own scriptures, they actually would have had the answer already. You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. The floods have risen up, O Lord. The floods have roared like thunder. The, fl the floods have lifted their pounding waves. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action. His impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, and were at their wits' end. Lord, help! they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waters. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. And I love this story of Jesus and the storm because it's one of those stories that we don't have to try hard to put ourselves into, right? Like this story really is our story. We felt that dark chaos constantly trying to, to get us and, and crush us, crashing against us. Like we've all woken up at, at 2 a.m. with those worries, worrying about like, like money, only to then get smacked with a wave worrying about our kids. And then a sneaker wave comes and grabs us and we start worrying about that relationship that seems to be kind of turning the way we don't want it to turn. Listen, the outcome doesn't depend on how smart we are or how much we've saved up or how hard we try or how mentally tough we are or how, how, well, how good we are at rowing and, and bailing. No, the outcome of our lives depends on how we answer the question, who is this man? So who is he? Is he a teacher? Is he a philosopher? Is he, is he a good role model? He can definitely be those things for sure. But when the darkness is closing in and real crisis hits, the chaos starts overwhelming us, we need more than a teacher. We need a God who can control the chaos with just his word. A God who has actually already conquered the worst possible outcome, death. He died and then raised himself back to life. Which means if we are trusting Jesus, we don't even have to worry about death because he's more powerful than even death. See, Jesus has already conquered the worst case scenario, death. And when you don't have to worry about death, you don't have to worry about much else. So, when the forces of chaos come to overwhelm us, we can choose. We can choose to trust the one who has already defeated them. How? 
I think how we practice worrying better. First, when, when those come, ask, answer the question for yourself. Who is this man? Who is he? Who do you truly believe Jesus is? How do your reactions when crisis does come, when you, when you deal with chaos, how do your reactions say you answer that question of who Jesus is? And second, list your worries. Write a list. If you're worried, list your worries and then write the worst case scenario of them and then tell Jesus them. Tell him, right? He already knows. He's not going to be offended by you saying, I'm worried about this. It's not a secret. In fact, it's a good way for us to consciously see ourselves bringing these worries to Jesus. So make a list of your worries, write the worst case scenario, and then take your list, number three, take your list and put a check by the ones that are too big for Jesus. Pretty easy. Then fourth, ask what you want to ask. Ask them, right? These are my worries. Obviously, you're big enough to handle them. Here's what I would like to do. So ask what you want to ask and then trust him to act how he will act. And then share them with friends, like a connect group or a small group of people that are, are have their worries together. Like none of us are actually worrying about one thing that no one else is ever worried about. We're in this together. So pray with each other. Bring them to Jesus together. Honestly, imagine those worries that can really torment you. Imagine them losing their power. Imagine them losing that clinging bite that just holds on to you. Imagine finding peace and joy in the middle of the most chaotic days and even in the middle of our sudden crises. Imagine being able to be a voice of calm and peace and confidence for those in your life when the chaos comes for them. That's the life we are invited into. The story, this story, is our story. When we choose to trust who Jesus is and trust that he can do what he says he can do. When we choose to trust Jesus in the chaos, the story of Jesus becomes our story. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there will be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. And we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello. Uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you, and we'll see you next week.